And so today we're talking about the kingdom of God. And as I said, we are starting in Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 11. Uh, this is a parable that Jesus tells. And it's very similar to a parable in Matthew. But the end of it kind of um, is a little different than the end of the parable in Matthew, which uh, makes it, it seem to me in my study um, that although they are similar, that this is two different parables. And uh, we'll get into that as we go forward. But let's begin reading at verse 11 and read through verse 14 as we consider the first point. Um, which is one of the reasons I think Jesus tells this parable is because he's preparing his disciples for his departure. Remember, one other thing that he said to his disciples is that when I leave you, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you into all truth. Because, as we'll see in this parable, God had things for the disciples to do even as Jesus was leaving. So, Luke 19, verse 11 to 14. And as they heard these things, he added and spoke a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to... Okay, so that is the first four verses of this passage. And I think about this setup because it's very much what Jesus himself did with the disciples. Because Jesus said to his disciples three times, um, before he left, I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, taken by evil men. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again, and then I'm going to go away from you. And in and in John, there's the whole conversation of where are you going, um, so we may follow. And Jesus basically tells them, you can't go right now. As much as you would want to, you have to stay here. I have work for you to do. And so he's using this parable, I think, to prepare his disciples for that. And he talks about this nobleman that goes into a far country. And he calls his ten servants. And he says, I'm going into a far country. Take these ten pounds. So it seems like he's given them each one pound. And he says, do with it the best you can and occupy till I come. I've heard people say that their goal is to be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And I understand the tenor of that statement. But I, I, I think we need to be careful about what we say there because I think that God wants us to occupy Till he comes. He wants us to be set on things above, but he doesn't want us to forget what's going on here on earth. It's just like um, what our brother just said about the unborn babies who cry for liberty. 
We need to be active in speaking against things like that because we're supposed to speak evil of things that are evil. We're, we're supposed to speak and be honest about things that are evil and be honest about things that are good. Jesus said, woe to them who call good evil and evil good. You know, a lot of times people say, well, God is love. He wouldn't judge people the way that we do today. Usually in reference to Christians, I have a cousin who claims to be a Christian but is always calling out Christians for being judgmental. But you know what? Jesus didn't die on a cross because he just talked about warm fuzzies all the time. He died on the cross because he called, he called the Pharisees hypocrites. He called them blind guides. He said the blind leading the blind will only fall into a ditch. He said your lips profess to know me, but your heart is far from me. That's what got him hung on the cross. And he didn't hang on the cross so that we could have the same lifestyle that we had before we knew him. He hung on the cross so that we could have a new lifestyle. He said, behold, I make all things new. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is what he died for. And so as we think about this nobleman who is talking to his servants, then I find it interesting because there is a distinction between his servants and the citizens. At first when I read this, I was confused because I was like, he gave them responsibilities and then they went after him and said, we hate you? But no, there's a difference here because he talks to his servants and then it says, but his citizens, the citizens of the area, said, we will not have this man to reign over us. And what do we find a few chapters later from this? We have no leader but Caesar. These Jewish people who say we're not in bondage to anyone choose to elevate the Caesar, the Roman ruler, above the king of the Jews, Jesus Christ. And when Pilate the Gentile, whether he was mocking or not, when Pilate the Gentile said, here is Jesus, the king of the Jews, they said, the Jewish people said, say not that he is the king of the Jews, say he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Something definitely worth thinking about. The people of Israel also said, His blood be on us and on our children. Not realizing how true that is. His blood is on me. And it's because His blood is on me that I can preach to you today. Because I'm not worthy to be called His son, but He calls me His son anyway. If we can look at 1 Peter 4. 9 to 11. 1 Peter 4, 9 to 11. If someone gets there, they can read it for us.
And it's So this is more about our responsibility as servants of the Most High God. We are to live in such a way as to bring glory to God. We are to be caring one to another. And if we speak for God, we are to take it not lightly, but seriously. There's a lot of people naming the name of God that say, his way of marriage is not the only way. That say his way of, or his value that he places on children is not the only way. That say God loves everyone and therefore repentance is not necessary. When the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It's a fearful thing. But Jesus said, fear not. Why did Jesus say, fear not? He didn't say, fear not, because you're, I'll leave you the same way you are. He said, fear not, because I died on the cross to give you a new life, to make you a new person, and I conquered the cross, and I conquered death, and I'm standing here before you, and I can give you peace. My first words to you after I rise can be peace unto you. Because of what I did. Because it's done. Because I took away your need to sin. That is what we need to remember. And even as true believers, we need to be reminded every once in a while whose we are. You often hear people say to their children when they go off on their own, remember who you are. But we also need to remind them to remember whose they are. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. I found this little story about Queen Victoria. It said when Queen Victoria was a child, she didn't know she was in line for the throne of England. Her instructors trying to prepare her for the future were frustrated because they couldn't motivate her. She just didn't take her studies seriously. Finally, her teachers decided to tell her that one day she would become the Queen of England. Upon hearing this, Victoria quietly said, then I will be good. The realization that she had inherited this high calling gave her a sense of responsibility that profoundly affected her conduct from then on. My question to you is, does your conduct reflect the fact that you were bought with a price. Paul said it this way in Philippians 1.27. He said, Only let your conduct be such that though I am with, whether I am with you or whether I am absent, I will hear of your conduct and I will praise the Lord. Now that's a paraphrase, but the basic gist of it is, Paul said, whether I'm with you or not, I want to hear good things about your testimony before the Lord. This is what I have been 
striving my whole life for is to teach you to love and honor the Lord. John said it this way when he said, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in truth. Now he may have been talking about biological children, but he also was talking about spiritual children to whom he was ministering as he wrote his Gospels. That is what I want as a minister of the gospel is to see the people that I am teaching and, and, and striving to bring to the Lord to walk in truth. I've had exciting opportunities as I've been working at the Potter's House to teach children and to share with them the love of Christ, to encourage them to let them know they're not alone. And it's been such a blessing. And this past week at school, I was able to speak um, first for staff devotions and then again for one of their chapel services for their discipleship meeting in the middle of the week. And what a blessing it was to be working in an environment where we start the day with devotions and where we can glorify God at a chapel service in the middle of the day and not have it be an interruption to the school day but to be a valid part of the school day because their goal at that school is to honor and glorify the name of Jesus Christ and to train world changers to change the world for Him. I'm so glad to be a part of it. Okay, so our second point is He calls His servants to account upon His return. Luke 9.15 Luke 19.15, sorry. Luke 19.15 to 22. Bear with me a second here. Luke 19.15 And it came to pass when he was returned, having received the kingdom, that he commanded those servants to be called unto him to whom he had given money, that he might know how much every man gained by trading. Then came the first, and said, Thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto them, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I fear thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knowest I was an austere man, taking up what I laid not down, and reaping what I did not sow. And so, Jesus is talking about coming again and holding us accountable for what we do for Him. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the things that we've done, good and bad, will be put before the Lord. I'm sure even the most devoted among us We'll spend time weeping at the feet of Jesus because 
Well, know that even in some of the good things we did, there were ulterior motives. But he's promised to forget them, so I don't believe he's going to go through them one by one for us. But he is going to burn them up. And whatever's left beyond the wood, hay, and stubble, whatever the precious jewels are that are left, that is going to be our reward. I believe God teaches us that he will have jobs for us in eternity. And that there is a certain level of um, reward that is coming to us based on how we conduct our Christian life. I don't believe in my study of this passage that this servant was an unbeliever. It never says in this passage that he was cast out, that he was put into a place where there was weeping or gnashing of teeth, as it does in Matthew. It simply says, as we will review in the next section, that his pound is taken away and given to someone who is more faithful. But I think there's application in both directions. I think of that song, Must I Go and Empty-Handed. It was the desire of that hymn writer to not be empty-handed when he came before the Lord. To have rewards stocked up in heaven. See, a lot of times in, in our Christian life, we, we tend to think of, of a reward system as, as a bad thing because we read in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's not of works of righteousness that we are saved, and surely it is not. But we are also told to lay up treasures in heaven. So if we're told to lay up treasures in heaven, it must not be wrong to have treasures in heaven. We just need to keep these things in balance. So he's dealing with these people. And the first few servants, they, they got it right and they multiplied what he had given them. And they took what he had given them and did great things through what he had given them. And he commended them for it. And the final man was afraid to do anything with what God had given them, given him. And God said, I'm going to take away that which you think you have. So I'd encourage you twofold on this point. First of all, if you are a believer, God has gifted you. He has things that he wants you to do. And if you are allowing your fear to paralyze you into inaction, I would encourage you to realize that God has not given you the spirit of fear, but has given you power and a sound mind so that you can do whatever it is that he's calling you to do. Now, he may not call you to the pulpit, but wherever you are, he gives you a sphere of influence and people that you can reach for him. For more about this, let's look at 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Just more about our responsibilities as believers. If somebody gets there, if they could read it for me, I'd appreciate it. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ 
the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. That is humbling to me. That as a preacher of the gospel, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. I have a responsibility to preach the word of God faithfully. To be consistent in my preaching of the word of God. Not to be as someone who wavers or is tossed with every wave. It's not up to me to say, oh, they should be able to love who they want to love. Or, oh, I understand your situation, so killing your baby is okay. Those things are not up to me to say because God has already spoken on the matter. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He said, I have made man and woman and put them together in marriage and no one should part them. That's what he said. And we live in a world, even in the church, where we look for exceptions. We say, well, if this happens, then I can get a divorce. So I hope that happens. I have heard that from people. It's wrong. It's a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. Now I understand things don't always go the way we want them to. Sometimes things go wrong. And I know that God has mercy if that is your situation. But we should never normalize things that God hates. We shouldn't do it. Nathan Schaefer writes, At the close of life, the question will not be, how much have you gotten, but how much have you given? Not how much have you won, but how much have you done? Not how much have you saved, but how much have you sacrificed? It will be, how much have you loved and served, not how much were you honored? That are the, those are the questions that God is going to ask us, that Jesus is going to ask us. And as he does, he will hold out his hands for us to see, because the Bible says we'll look on him whom we have pierced, and we'll see his feet and we'll see his side. And the only thing we'll be able to do is to fall on our faces before him. It says that John... The bab- or John the Apostle fell on his feet as dead. Or fell on his face as dead. And I can't see myself doing any different. But you know what? My prayer is that he will reach out his hand and pull me to my feet, which will be healthy and be able to stand And he will say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into thy rest. Not because of what I have done, but because of what he has done through me. And because at some point, when I was a young teenager, I decided to get out of the way and stop making excuses and start serving. And he's opened up so many doors for me. And I pray and wait with eager anticipation to see what doors he will open in the future. I still believe that he has a wife for me, and I'm excited for him to work out those details and to have a partner to 
to serve the Lord with. Because God never intended for our service to the Lord to be a solitary effort. When I, in the early days of starting this ministry, I had a gentleman that really encouraged me to take the final steps to officially begin my speaking for him ministry. And he was, he was help, trying to help me get places to speak, and he was being an encouragement to me. And his wife was discouraged with the time he was spending. And she said, this is your ministry. You need to do it yourself. God never said that to anyone. This is something I think we have way too twisted in, in Western culture ministry. Is that it's about one person. You know what happens when a ministry is about one person? When that person dies or fails or goes another way, it dies. I don't want the things that I'm started to die. I want them to grow. Because I plant. And sometimes I water. But God gives the increase. It's his job. Okay. Our final section is his words to the unfaithful servant. When he says, wherefore... In verse 23, or I, I'm in the, yes, I am in the right verse, okay. Wherefore, then, gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And then he said, they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. But these mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. As I said, I think there's a double application here. If you are a believer and you're not using the gifts that God has has called you to use, I think he will call you to account for that. And you'll gain heaven, but you won't gain the level of reward that you would have gained if you had been faithful and been able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I've done everything that God asked me to do. And of course, there's also the possibility that you're not a believer. So you can't lay up any treasure in heaven if you're not a believer. So the first thing that needs to happen if you want to begin to lay up heavenly treasure is you need to yield yourself as a living sacrifice to God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And verse 2 says that we will be able to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So, if you haven't trusted Jesus, do so today. He died on the cross so that we could have salvation. He hung there for every one of us from the Old Testament saints who believed he was coming to the New Testament saints who believe he's coming back. 
He died for all of them. From the meanest Roman soldier who nailed his hands to that cross to his mother who wept there. Mark Lowry said it this way in one of his songs. He said, Mary, did you know that this child that you've delivered will soon deliver you? That is a thought beyond comprehension. And yet, as Mary was standing there, I'm sure she was thinking of the words of Simeon, that a sword will pierce your own soul also. But this man will be a part of the rising and falling of many again in Israel. And we see that Jesus' prayer of Father, forgive them, started to work immediately. For what did the centurion say when he was there at the cross and he saw Jesus die and he heard him say, it is finished. Then he said, surely this man was the Son of God. And it's my prayer that I'll see him there one day because hopefully somebody, or perhaps even Jesus himself, perhaps he was, within the, he was in the 500 that saw Jesus risen. And he said, not only was Jesus the Son of God, but he is the Son of God. How great will that be? How great will that be? And one day, I'm going to be there in the great throng at the end of time, saying, surely, he is the Son of God. And I hope that you will be there as well. He loves you. And because he loves you and he loves me, I love you. Paul said it this way, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. I know what awaits those who reject God. That's why I'm so stringent on the truth. Because it would be easy to say, oh, that doesn't matter that much. I'm just going to love you and let you do what you're going to do. Because I love you. But that's not love. That's not love. Letting someone continue in their sin is not love. Charles Spurgeon said that if people are going to hell, let them go to hell over our outstretched hands as we try our best to hold them back from its fires. That's what he said, and that is my goal as I minister, to hold as many people back from the fires of hell as possible. I can't back down. I can't let people who, who think that I, that I am narrow-minded or a bigot stop me from speaking the truth. We are made in, that Im in the image of God and that image is being mocked in new and surprising and shocking ways today. But God will not be mocked. He will win. He will win. So make sure that you're on his side. As Abraham Lincoln once said, he said, Is God, someone asked him if God was on his side. He said, the question is not whether God is on my side. The question is whether I am on his. These are the questions we need to ask. And I pray from the bottom of my soul that they would be questions that you would be asking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable that was set forth for us in your word. We thank you that even when we fail you, you have mercy. And we thank you that you love us. But we also thank you that you equip us to do the work you've asked us to do. You haven't asked us to do anything for which you haven't given us the power. And so may we claim the power. Lord, we thank you for your gifts. And most of all, the unspeakable gift of your son, which none of us deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.